Hello and welcome to Fans, the podcast hosted by me, Sachin Akrani, in which I speak to people I like, find interesting or both about being football fans. So this is the final episode of the series and as ever, I'm very much going out with a bang given I'm joined to talk all things Brentford by broadcaster, podcaster and first guest in fans history to have appeared on the side of a bus, it's Natalie Sawyer. <laughs> wow, what an introduction. <laughs> I, hope, I hope I'm either the one that you like or you're interested in Brentford anyway. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely interested. I'm definitely interested in your life, Natalie. And having spoken to you off air for about two or three minutes, I think I definitely like you as well. But should we talk <laughs> about the bus? Do you remember this? You must remember oh, this. Oh my goodness. Oh, well, I do. I do exactly know what you mean. And yes, to be in the back of the bus, it was a dream fulfilled. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, part of an advertising campaign for Brentford to encourage people to come on down to when we were playing at Griffin Park. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I can't say I was enamoured by the picture, I suppose, <laughs> um, but hey, I mean, like I say, it's not many people that can say they'd be on the back of a bus. No, absolutely. Do you remember which two buses it was, oh, number-wise? Oh, God. I've got it here, I, if you don't remember. No, I don't think I do. So according to my research, which I, which I told you off here, I've been spending the last couple of days doing, um, it was a 65 and the 237, which okay. go through uh, West and South West London. And as you said, part of the campaign by Brentford in 2012 to promote the club and specifically its family and junior tickets at mm-hmm. Griffin Park, its old ground. You were part of the campaign alongside uh, four players from the, from, that, from the squad at that time, which were Sam Saunders, uh, Farid L. Alagui, you might pronounce that Alagui, wrong. Yes, Alagui. We say Alagui, but I mean, I, I can't quite remember if we were saying it right. But yes, Farid. Yeah. Who would you say Farid? Farid, yeah, let's go with that. Paul Hayes and Clayton Donaldson. And according to my research, you were on the flagship bus. So um, <laughs> you were, of those five people involved in the campaign, you were the uh, you were the standout star. That's quite, quite the accolade. I, well, it, I mean, yes, when you put it like that. But it's clearly something I've blocked out of my memory <laughs> because you're having to remind me of everything. Um Yes, I mean, a real honour. What kind of? <laughs> were you getting people texting you? Players? Yeah, were you getting family and friends texting you going, I've just seen you on a bus? I think I did have a few people, a few people from work at the time as well. Um, yeah, in some ways a little bit embarrassing, uh, but equally very nice and privileged and honoured yeah. to be asked by the club to, to do that. So, um, yeah. Yeah, a long time ago though. Long time. Yeah, I've really forgotten about it. Yeah, a decade ago. Uh, no, it's it's I think it's brilliant. I'd love to be on a bus promoting <laughs> anything. I'll take anything. Any advertiser listening, I'll I'll be your face for a bus campaign. Um also <laughs> said off air, just before we start talking, I was I was very much of the opinion you were Brentford's most famous fan, but then I discovered Phil Collins is a Brentford oh. fan, as is Dean Gaffney. So I'm I think I'll have to relegate you to third most famous no, fan. No, I, right I don't that. do you know what? I don't mind that because yes, you're quite right. They <laughs> Uh, Dean Gaffney, yes, I, I remember seeing him at Griffin Park a few times. Haven't quite seen him at the new stadium, so I don't know if he, even if he's been. Um, yet to have seen Phil Collins. So uh, as much as I love Phil, and I'm so happy that you brought him up in this conversation, um, he needs to come to the stadium for yeah. me to validate he's a Brentford fan. But yeah, Hounslow boy, so I can see why he would obviously say that he's a Brentford fan. Yeah, I mean, Phil can come on and, and, uh, and uh, accuse me of being wrong when I say this, but I get the sense he's never seen Brentford in the flesh. I mean, he lives in Switzerland, doesn't he, or something? So Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not quite sure he's really a Brentford fan. Yeah. It's a bit like Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy isn't a football fan, but I know he was asked a question about who would he support? And he, he said growing up in West, where he's grown up, which I think is Richmond way, he said if he had to be a football fan, it would be Brentford, but he's not a football fan. Yeah. That's probably how these things happen, isn't it? Celebrities get asked who they support and they say, if I was going to support somebody, the next thing you see the headline is so-and-so is a massive yeah. 
so-and-so fan. That's probably what's happened to Phil, so fair to him. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's you and Gaffney, I think, for in, in the running for Brentford. Wellard in between us. <laughs> Wellard, yeah. yeah, Wellard very much taking Gaffney's side in that in that particular battle. Um, now, Natalie, genuinely, thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's a fine episode series. Always try and uh, go out, as I said, with a bang, and I'm very much doing that having you on. I was keen to get you on to talk about Brentford for a very long time, and you've kindly made, uh, made time in your busy schedule to speak to me about the club you absolutely adore. You are very much a Brentford fan, I like Phil Collins. Um, there's plenty of evidence online and uh, <laughs> elsewhere as proof of that. Um, we'll get on to talk about Brentford shortly and your and your time supporting the club. Um, before we do that, I actually want to talk about what we're doing right now, which is talking okay. uh, in the pursuit of, I'm going to use such a wanky phrase here, uh, creating audio-based content. I, was, I <laughs> feel sick coming in my mouth as I use that phrase. Wow. But um, yes. yeah, it's awful, isn't it? I was writing it yesterday. I said, can I think of a better way to put this? And I couldn't, so I thought I'd just you go with that. Okay. Uh, in the pursuit of creating audio-based content. Horrific phrase. Um, but it's what you do for a living. Uh, something you're very, very good at for various reasons. And one of those is because you speak very clearly and eloquently, which I know from doing this podcast is far more difficult than I think people realise. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to how much of that is natural, how much your sort of, you know, your broadcasting voice and appears to be the same as your speaking voice is, is <laughs> natural and how much is that through training and experience. But also I'm curious, so through the rise of podcasts and kind of grabby content, you know, clips, you see a lot of clips. I know you work for TalkSport. We see a lot of clips now from mm. TalkSport, Five Live, other broadcasters, things that can sort of be put on social media and to sort of uh, to build an audience and grab attention. How much do you think we're moving towards sort of, away I should say from formal styles of broadcasting towards something a bit more conversational style that we're sort of doing now yeah well I I mean I think the latter is is definitely something we're already in as you pointed out this is what we're doing right now I think a conversational style of Mm. of broadcasting is is certainly what I think a lot of broadcasters want to do that's why you seem sometimes more um relaxed studios shall we say it's yeah. not the formal like tie and blazer that we often used to associate with some uh, broadcasters and broadcasting um which is a good thing i think because you know at the end of the day especially when you're talking about sport it's meant to be relaxed it's meant to be fun it's meant to be um inclusive in terms of just bringing everybody into the conversation um so yeah i i feel as though we're already at that point that we're in a conversation with broadcasting um with regards to my own training, I, I can't really say I had much, if I'm brutally honest. I did go to university and I did do media, but really, if I'm if I'm brutally honest, I, I mean, I went to university quite a while ago. Um, what I didn't learned, we all, didn't we all? <laughs> in the nineties, I went to university. So, so did I, late nineties. <laughs> yeah. yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I shouldn't really have mentioned that. No, I've no age. Um, but um, yeah, what I learned at university, I, there's no way I could have brought that into my media career because it was completely irrelevant. I mean, I was learning, I was learning how to splice up real, you know, like uh, audio to real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, who? I mean, completely irrelevant. And even at the time, you probably didn't even need to do it. But that's what we were learning at university. Yeah. So um, I can't say I had a massive training. I just, I don't know. It's just um, maybe I've just been fortunate to to be who I am but don't get me wrong that's not to say I'm not nervous and that I sometimes kick myself for saying the wrong thing and and all that sort of stuff I'm not perfect by any means and I'm always learning on the job um I think I'm just very lucky to be in the position I am and enjoying everything that I get to do yeah and as I said I mean I I trained as a um as a print journalist and uh, I did a yeah postgrad in journalism after university which where I did a history degree and so I never did any broadcast audio training and I just got into podcasting because I love podcasts I've always got Mm. six or seven on the go and started about three years ago and I do I don't think people realize how difficult 
it actually is because we just talk in everyday life and you know many people might think oh that's that's just what you do but I think when you're actually podcasting or doing anything audio creation wise it's a lot more difficult I'm gonna and I'm gonna embarrass myself here slightly I'm gonna show you a piece of paper I always put by my laptop when I when I do this can you see can you see that yes speak slowly so I've yeah I have a scrap of paper that says (laughs) speak slowly every just facing every time I do this because my big problem is I talk I talk way too my natural speaking voice is very fast and I think I think in I was I wonder if it is a problem because even when I do this I listen back and I go you're just talking too fast so you're you're, my questions are kind of falling into each other and words are sort of getting lost but then I also think if the other person can hear me so in this case you and you can make out the question and it's probably okay. But I don't know whether I'm overthinking this and maybe. Uh, what, 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 did, what did you say? What? No, no. Brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely phenomenal. Brilliant. Um, Standing up no, to I, agree. <laughs> no, I, I know what you mean. I do know what you mean. And, and of course, we do have to all speak at a certain pace to, to make sure that everyone can keep up with us. But I also think when you're having a conversation with someone, you kind of pick up on each other. You know the speed mm. of a conversation of, of where it, or how fast or how slow it needs to go. I mean, just in general, yes, I know what you mean. We, we all do probably need to speak a bit slower. I'm conscious that I sometimes speak too fast. And like you say, sometimes my sentences might roll into one. Um, but equally, that's, that's your manner. That's, that's, that's how you speak. And, I, you know, why, why change who you are? Um, uh, because, you know, you, you're, in, you're successful in what you're doing and, and I'm doing all right in what I'm doing at the moment. So why change who you are to, to fit? fit in for other people if you know what I mean so yeah yeah. that's interesting so that's kind of yeah that's kind of my thought is and I think you know maybe this is less of an issue because we are moving into this more conversational style of of broadcasting Mm -hmm. um that you can just bring your personality into it whatever your personality is whereas perhaps in the past you did have to speak in a more sort of clipped slower way so it sounds like that's what you're saying and there is that acceptance and that move oh maybe there's always been like that as well perhaps I don't know um no I think I think absolutely I think there has in the past being that you had to speak a certain way and obviously mm. even like certain things like accents you know my goodness you can talk if you want to go down that route in the conversation the it was always seen as though you couldn't have certain regional accents because mm. people didn't like them but we're moving away from that now which is a good thing um we're having variety in our in our broadcasting in general um so yeah i'm i'm all for everyone just being who they are and and if you like it you like it if you don't you don't yeah let's go with that well there's no doubt i will I will, I will I'm trying I'm, I'm got the piece of paper here I'm sticking to it but as we go on I will start to accelerate so if I do by all means take the piss out of me and, and tell me if you can't hear any of my questions and I'll slow down um excellent right let's talk Brentford um we're going to get into why you support the club and your memories of supporting them uh, in a bit before we do let we have to start in the present day um so Brentford are just a third of their way through their first top flight season since 1947 uh, in the Premier League of course they're 14th after 11 games having won three drawn three and lost five started brilliantly with that Friday night victory over Arsenal had some very good results since um to Liverpool three all at home beat West Ham away 2-1 um you have lost your last four in a row though going into yeah. we should they were in the sort of middle of the international break at the moment England actually the the, the, the night before we're speaking England qualified for the World Cup with a 10-0 hammering of San Marino so people know exactly sort of roughly what time period we're in um but yeah that's 11 uh, 14th after 11 games in the Premier League your first top flight season since 1947 How's it? How do you assess the season so far? And has being in the Premier League lived up to expectations? Oh, uh, yes. In answer to that second part of your question, um, 
it's it's been fun it's been a ride it's been everything I think we all expected it to be um ups and downs um yeah I mean the way it all began it was absolutely fantastic I was very fortunate to be at the Arsenal game to just feel the, the fever that was sort of going around the Brentford Community Stadium, the anticipation, the excitement. Um, and, you know, a game that I felt obviously we were worthy winners mm. in. And, um, yeah, it, it's it's a funny one with Brentford because talking of being in the Premier League, it, it's been a conversation for a while that's circulated around the club, you know, since our promotion to the Championship, for example. Um but really, did we ever, I don't know if we ever really thought it would happen. And it has happened. And now we're just enjoying it. And it happened to be in our new stadium as well. And yeah, don't get me wrong. The last four games have been disappointing in terms of we've lost. And especially to Burnley, especially to Norwich. Um, but there's still a lot of positives to take from it. And I, what I love most of all is that a lot of people have sort of suddenly gone, ah, this is Brentford. This is a team that's come into the league looking to shake things up, not just to be a number um uh, you know we're definitely going to try and do our best i hope to retain our place in the premier league for next season but um we're giving it a go which is the main thing yeah i mean i for my sins didn't watch much brentford at all last season i mean the way they've played this season be so positive from the start from that arsenal game you mentioned the first literally the first game of the season it was on, on a friday night um has the way they played this season essentially been how they played last season under thomas frank we've slightly gone away from our more um don't get me wrong there are times when we play that you sort of expansive style of football you know out from the back and and get it to our wingers and try and get it to Ivan Tony and Brian and Burma but we've also mixed things up a little bit more we've gone a little bit more long ball a bit more mm. direct at times I think that's only natural sometimes just coming up against some of the opposition it's difficult to break them down in the middle of the park so you've got to go other ways and other routes um and when we've got a front two like we have at the moment with Ivan Tony and Brian and Bermo, you know, they're combining very, very well. We're getting a lot of chances, unfortunately, not putting as many of them away as we would like to be doing. But they were work, they work really well. And there's Ivan Tony trying to get the flick-ons to to feed into to to Bermo to hopefully score. So mm-hmm. um yeah, slight variation in our style of play, but I'm still enjoying it. I think there's some fans that would like to see us go back to keeping it on the floor as much as possible. But um I think you do have to mix it up in the Premier League. Oh, yeah. I mean, it seems to be the utterly correct decision. I mean, the Arsenal game specifically against Liverpool as well. I mean, you've got two sort of big teams coming to, to your ground and absolutely rattled both of them with that far, with that direct approach. I think all, all, wasn't all the goals against Liverpool from crosses, I think I might have that. You're right. Yeah. yeah. My memory's terrible for things like that. But, um, yeah. but yes, I mean, that was a, a game still, will, I think will always stay in my head as one of the most exciting games to mm. ever watch live as a Brentford fan. Just taking on the might of Liverpool and, and you know, 3-3 three, three and, and fighting back a number of times against them. And, you know, this is a pretty full-strength Liverpool side that we're taking on as well. And, and I happen to have a friend who works at Liverpool who was at the game and um, didn't want to speak to me. was quite happy to ignore <laughs> me. Um, but I did speak to him in the end, thankfully. Uh, but, yes, he made a point of saying he wasn't very happy with how Brentford had played just because they, they thought they'd come and get yeah. three points. But, um, yeah, I, what can I say? Some of the games we've had are, have been really exciting and hopefully as well for neutrals. Yeah, well, as a Liverpool fan, I was infuriated with that oh, game as well. But 
but not I had no issues with Brentford style I was more annoyed with us for not thinking that might happen and not dealing with it better mm. now you fully deserved your point uh, in that game uh, we talked about the Arsenal game obviously really you know it was an incredible I felt actually really emotional watching it on TV because it was the first obviously first game of the new season with fans back as well and just seeing a full stadium itself was amazing but then the noise when the two goals mm. went in and then at the end the scenes at the end was absolutely was absolutely incredible. Um, and speaking of emotional moments watching Brentford, the playoff final victory over Swansea <laughs> at at Wembley must have been um, must have been amazing for you. And I know it was amazing for your dad. Your your pin tweet is a little video mm. of you and your dad hugging after the game. He's got a brilliant sort of crocodile Dundee hat on. I must compliment him on that hat. Um, and that's what people call him, crocodile Dundee. Crocodile Dundee, absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, it's a great hat. Eighties um, reference there for any youngsters listening. <laughs> um, yeah, just do you want to talk about that day at Wembley? And and it, Gosh, yeah. I mean what. Was the sense with your dad? Was it just? I mean, I guess uh, we'll get onto this later. But he's a lifelong Brentford fan, and for him, then that must have been an amazing moment. Was that why that moment was so special for you both? Yeah. Well, do you know what? I mean, it, it's interesting actually because my dad isn't a lifelong Brentford fan. Oh, okay. That's the funny thing. But he has just become so absorbed into Brentford. I mean, it's become his life since the 1990s before that football was never a thing for him at all um so he just got caught up in the whole emotion of the the day and I mean I'd been working that morning so I'd been up since half three um got back to to West London to meet my my brother and my dad and we got the taxi up to the um to Wembley and but before that I was remember I was going up an escalator at, at Waterloo station and there was a sticker that happened to um be stuck on one of the steps in front of me as I'm going up this up up escalator saying um bees up Fulham down and I you know what it is you'd look for any sort of symbol don't you of something yeah. you can think maybe that's a sign and I took it to mean maybe maybe that is a sign that we are actually going to go up um bearing in mind that Fulham had come down and, and you know we might yeah. go up so um, I had this different sort of feeling. I mean, Brentford have had a terrible record in the playoffs, um, but there was just, I don't know, despite the fact I was still nervous because I know Brentford and I know our playoff record is awful. Um, I did it states, also- is it nine? Going into that game, it was nine consecutive nine. defeats in playoffs, wasn't it? 100% failure rate, which is pretty oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We'd reached four finals in various mm. leagues, haven't won any of them. And let's not forget, it was our chairman back in, I think, the yeah. 80s who came up with the playoffs yeah, and we yeah. would never benefit we never <laughs> benefited from them until this summer so yes I was I was worried about Swansea because you're always worried in a one-off game but I think 20 minutes 30 minutes into that game it was game over and I think they were shell-shocked and we were just I thought we were brilliant and um probably should have won by by a few more if I'm pretty honest oh, and Burma may get oh. there Woodman has caught him and it is a penalty to Brentford and Burmo's movement off the ball is exceptional here. Tony delivers again. The talisman for Brentford gives them the ideal start in the playoff final. Here's Ruslev. Not Tony, but Emilio is there. Extraordinary stuff. How cool a finish is that? He doesn't smash it home, he passes it into the back of the net and it's, it's dream time for Thomas Frank and Brentford. A brilliant opening 20 minutes. Oh, Tony's going to hit! Extraordinary effort! He's, what, six inches away from making it 3-0. That would have been game over. Well, Janssen didn't get there! And Ayu cannot take the opportunity. He just can't get there quickly enough. Brilliant delivery. 
Okay. Roberts. Owen Jensen clearly fouled by Fulton and he is gone. Jay Fulton walks and with him surely goes Swansea City's hopes. The curse is broken. The pain of playoffs past is banished. The Premier League beckons for Thomas Frank and Brentford. There's a new saying in a part of West London. Tenth time lucky. Brentford are in the Premier League. But yeah, what, what a day. And it was emotional. I looked, uh, you know, I, I still can't grasp sometimes what we achieved in that game. Not only have we won a playoff final, which we've obviously never done before, but it's a playoff final that's got you into the Premier League, like the promised land. And yes, I turned to my dad and, and there's just tears, tears streaming down his face. So yeah, um, I was very fortunate. I had some friends behind me who were filming us and um, they captured that moment of me sort of grabbing my dad and yeah, yeah enjoying that moment. No, it's an absolutely lovely moment. And yeah, we should say, uh, is it Martin Lang? That was your chairman in the 80s, yeah. who yeah. Yeah, I so ironically proposed the idea of <laughs> playoffs to the Football League and uh, as, a, as a sort of way of, sort of I guess, making the, the end of the season more exciting in the Football mm. League. And uh, yeah, Brentford have not, apart from until, we should say, May this year, never benefited, benefited from it. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I can understand your dad's emotions to some extent because Brentford's rise has been absolutely astonishing. I mean, just to go back to 2002, the club almost went into administration Mm-hmm. Um, and the only thing really prevented it uh, was the £400,000 sale if you then captain Darren Powell to, to Palace, uh, Crystal Palace. Um, around that time as well, the financial difficulties were so bad, you were uh, almost sold Griffin Park, your ground at the time, to developers. And then soon after, uh, in order to properly stabilise the club, it was taken over by supporters group, Bees United. Mm. And then in 2012, their majority shareholding was sold to Matthew Benham, a fellow fan and banker turned uh, professional gambler who, who's led this re- modern day revolution at the club based on statistical modelling and generally sort of smart, modern approaching to hiring, recruitment and coaching. And he's also overseen your move to the Brentford Community Stadium and, of course, then ultimately promotion uh, in May. Um, is it fair to say the past 10 years or so have been the most exciting 10 years or so for your time supporting Brentford? And it must be immense pride in what you've achieved, given the central presence of fans, you know, Bees United taking over the club, essentially saving the club from financial ruin, and then Matthew's role in it as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what what the fans did, uh, as you pointed out, just completely changed our future. And um, I have to say, Matthew Benham was involved very early on in Bees United. He, oh, okay. was, he was more of a silent, so should we say, mm. um, presence. Um, but that, you know, no one knew about that, apart from those within Bees United. So um, what what he, but still, what he did in being involved in Bees United early on still helped to bankroll the club, um, and it gave us still a voice. And then him getting the the, as you say, the shareholdings. He he, a part of the agreement was to give us the golden share, which means uh, that obviously we have the first say as Bees United about any potential takeovers, et cetera, et cetera, which again is quite a rarity that a football club is afforded that in any yeah. sort of uh, mm-hmm. a deal by a new owner. Um, so very much Brentford and Bees United are a fan-led club. 
um, owned, etc. etc. I mean, Matthew Benham is a Brentford fan through and through. You know, he's he he's talked about his time at coming to Griffin Park when he was a youngster. And there was a time, I'm led to believe, that he might not have bought Brentford because he thought actually Bees United weren't actually going to sell it to him. They thought Bees United, he thought Bees United, as much as he was part of silently part of it um he thought they wouldn't sell to him and he look, was going to look at another club I think as soon as Bees United heard that they're like no 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 you stay with us um and the rest is history because you know he has literally put his money where his mouth is and um done everything that he has said he would do for Brentford ultimately resulting in, in promotion to the Premier League which again is something he earmarked is what he wanted to do Mm. so is, does that golden share still exist so bees united yeah. would have a final say over any takeover yeah, that, that still, is extraordinary yeah it's still part of our of that deal which i guess yeah. goes to show the how genuine matthew benham mm. is as an owner as well knowing that you know it's not going to be easy for him to sell the club should he ever wish to sell the club um and also maybe it does show that he's a fan as well because at, at mm. the end of the day it's the club he wants the best interest to be served for the club come whatever happens in the future yeah. I mean, he sounds like a really interesting, unique, extraordinary man. Have, have you had the chance to get to know him? What's he like? Um, I've, I mean, I've met him a few times. He's, um, he's quite a reserved, quite quiet man, actually. Um, I mean, I don't know him that well. Maybe people within his circles will say something different. Um, I remember one time, I, so I've been fortunate because of my, my career that I help out on certain um, end of season awards dues, for mm. example. I helped to host them for Brentford, for example. And there's only ever been one that he's come to, which was the, I'm trying to remember now. Uh, it might have, Oh, it might have been. Well, it was under Mark Warburton. So that must have been the year we, well, I'm trying to think. It might have been the playoffs, actually, when we lost to Middlesbrough in the playoffs, our first season in the championship. Anyway, Matthew ben- Benham came to this dinner and I'd asked him beforehand, you know, anything you want me to speak, you know, ask you about because he was going to come up on stage to chat with me. And he's like, oh, no, everything's fine. Just whatever you throw at me will be fine. Comes up on stage. And obviously I had my little cute cards because, you know, you know just want to be sure that I get everything right. He picks them up and just read all the questions out didn't answer them just read this what is what you're gonna ask bang 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 and obviously it, it, you know that was his jokey way of dealing yeah. with things but I, I was standing there thinking oh my goodness this is not what I was expecting and yeah. how do I pull it back from here um but I mean you know he's he's very friendly you know I say very friendly he's always he's some, someone will always wave to you he'll always acknowledge you um but equally he's made a point this season of asking fans because fans always sing his name because of what he's done for the club but he's asked fans to stop doing that because he doesn't want that recognition. He wants the recognition to go to the players and to the management, um, which, again, I think is a really nice way of an owner to go about things. You know, it's not as, as I mean, he's achieved so much for us and completely changed our future. Um, but he doesn't want it to be about him. He wants it to be about the players and everyone else involved in the, the club side of things. Yeah. Did you still ask those ask those questions? At that oh point? gosh! <laughs> you know what? I probably did, but I had to sort of reword them to make out that they weren't the same question. <laughs> I mean, it was awkward, I must say. Um, I think, I think, I think I was just grateful that it was towards the end of the night, and most people have had a drink, so maybe they just don't remember that bit. <laughs> yeah, no, extraordinary. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you you, uh, you reacted very well to that. Um, <laughs> right, let's go back to the very start. Then, obvious question: Why is Natalie Sawyer a Brentford fan? It's all my brother's fault. Um, and I say fault because 
we've had a lot of heartache. It's only <laughs> the last sort of, as you pointed out, maybe five, ten years that things have been on the up for Brentford. Um, I mean, gosh, I remember in our League Two days under Terry Butcher, we were all so worried that we could be relegated out of the Football League at one stage. So, um, gosh, uh, why are we a fan? So my brother loved football in terms of playing it and um, wasn't not to any great standard, but just enjoyed playing it with his mates. And he had like a Sunday junior team that he was involved in and through that my dad realized oh you know my brother's got a bit of passion for it maybe we should go to a local game and and griffin park from where my mum and dad are or when our or our family home is um it was only five minutes in the car now the new stadium is actually even closer to where my mum and dad lives <laughs> better for them but it was just around the corner for us griffin park so it made sense that that would be the, the club that we would go to and we happened to get tickets through, I think, Brentford in the community, the Sports Trust. Um, and yeah, it was, I don't know, it was just, um, it, we must have just been hooked because that was it. We were very fortunate to keep going back and, and loving the experience. Yeah, and, and I, as I always do with guests who come on this podcast, ask them um, what their first game was. And yours was, you said you said to me, it was, uh, it was in 1987 against Bristol Rovers at Griffin Park. So I did a bit of research. I think it's pretty, I'm almost saying it's the 31st of October, 1987. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Third division game against Bristol Rose at Griffin Park. It ended one all. Uh, mm-hmm. Paul Williams scored for Brentford. Steve Perriman was your manager at the time. Yeah. And you've got, I believe, a rather nice story to tell about what happened before the game. Yeah. Like I said to you earlier on, I haven't got the best of memories when it <laughs> comes to, you know, when people can just recall goals and all yeah. sorts of, I'm terrible for things like that. I always need to, quickly YouTube stuff um but yes yeah, so there was a near Griffin Park there was a, a sort of like um what was it like a Bernie Inn type pub let's just say that I remember we went to and it was quite a big pub and it was lovely um we went to it beforehand and there was a, quite a few I can't remember how many but my brother had brought some friends along so there's a nice group of us that had gone out for sort of let's say a lunch thing and yeah Bristol Rovers were playing and some of the Bristol Rovers fans were in this particular pub and they'd obviously seen that lots of kids, you know, milling about and then having a bit of a party, I suppose. And they very kindly made a collection for my brother. And, you know, they didn't know if we were staunch Brentford fans and, you know, et cetera. They didn't care about that. The football rivalries were completely yeah. put aside and just raised some money for my brother for his birthday. And it's, it's actually the one thing really that sticks out more than anything from that day, because I suppose, in a way, it made us all feel as though well, football is so welcoming. Um, yeah, and right. uh, yeah, and then after that, we went to the game, and I remember we were sat in what we called the Wendy House at Brentford. It's it's it had a sometimes it was a home end, sometimes it was the away end. They kept flipping it, you know, seasons and seasons and stuff. And at one stage, it was the two tiered, which ended up being the away end. Um, the top section was the seated section, and we were in there. And I can I can still see where I can picture myself now. I can picture the sunset. And I can see the, the the haze of the floodlights. So the little things like that, I remember. I don't really remember the game, um, but I remember just enjoying the whole day, being the only girl as well. So I thought I was pretty special. <laughs> and um, yeah, and that was it. We, as a family, we were hooked. Like yeah. I said, it, football's not been a generational thing for yeah. either my mum's or my dad's side. So uh, we have my brother to thank, really, for us being Brentford fans. Yeah. How much money did the Bristol Rose fans raise for your oh, brother? Sure. And I knew you'd ask me that. <laughs> um, do you know what? It was a fair. In, I mean, going back in the age, it was it was around a hundred quid or so. Oh, that's and, decent. You know, and for I think he, my brother would have been what the ten, eleven at that age. 
I mean, it, it made his day, yeah. probably made his month, his year, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was it was just a nice way for us to sort of start our, our footballing journey with Brentford. Yeah. And it's up the game into the draw, I guess. So, um, yeah, you don't want to be beating Bristol Rovers on the day. Well, uh, that, exactly. Yeah, that they're, they're fans to raise money for, you, for your brother. Um, <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that. I mean, we you know, get guests on here, and one of the things I always love hearing from them is is stories about their first time going to a, to a ground because – I think there's nothing really be- in life beats your first time going to a football ground. And for, di- for, for different people, it's different things. So for some people, it's just how green the football pitch is. Mm. Uh, for others, it's the noise. Others, it's being in a big crowd. And I'm sure that all those things were, are the same for you. But yeah, it sounds like you, you're saying the lights almost. The lights, like, well, the sunset. The lights yeah. and the sunset. Because yeah, as you pointed out, it's October time. So obviously... Um, I'm guessing that the clocks must have changed maybe at that point, maybe. Um, and yeah, it was just, I just remember it. And, and yeah, we, I, maybe, and I'm sure, I'm pretty sure it was pretty chilly as well. Um, mm. It's Halloween yeah. enough. It's 31st of October. If it's exactly. 31st of October, it's Halloween. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it's funny what stands out. It absolutely, you're absolutely right. You might not remember the actual moments in the mm. game, but you just pick out, like you say, you just remember the, the buzz of a crowd or the green of the pitch. And um, yeah, for me, it's the floodlights. Yeah. And uh, Griffin Park, we should say, so it was Brentford Stadium from September 1904 to uh, August 2020 before you moved to the Brentford Community Stadium. Um, I've been there. I've been there a couple of times, never as a fan, I think twice as a journalist. Um, how can I put this politely? Uh, it was intimate, wasn't it, as a stadium? <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. <laughs> Go um, for it, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I know Thomas Frank has been caught out on TV calling it a shithole, uh, but it's our shithole, as he even once said. And it, and it was. That's a title for this podcast, sorry, <laughs> that. our shithole. But it was, you know, it was our home and it wasn't a nice place to come to. I mean, I, I know that the away dressing room was so small that they had one toilet and the door didn't even close. That's how tight it was. You sat on the toilet. So we didn't make it welcoming in any, any way. Um, but it had its charm as well. Mm. It had that old style of a football ground that um, was very in- intimate. You were, I mean, you, you know, wherever you were within the ground, you, you were only a, a matter of feet, meters, whatever it was from, from the actual football pitch. So um yeah, I mean, I absolutely loved it. And I have such wonderful memories at Griffin Park. And the saddest thing is obviously COVID hit and we never actually got to have a proper farewell. Yeah, of um, course. Yeah. We did go out on a bang. So we beat Sheffield Wednesday 5-1, I think it was. Um, but at the time, no one knew that was our last game. Mm. So a um, bit of a shame in that respect. And, and what I mean by last game, last game with the fans, um, obviously they did continue to play there once it all resumed. Um but yeah, so that's the only biggest shame is that as Brentford fans who have been going for however many decades, so many of us just didn't get that chance, proper chance to give it the farewell that, mm. we, that, that they planned for. I know they planned for like to have music acts and things like that involved to say goodbye to it, but we just never got that chance properly. Did you mark it in any way from home, from your dad's house? Or um, do you know what? Well, they, what they did do is they did actually in, allow fans to come back um, I think it was during the summer, well, whenever it was after the season. Well, I forget when it was. Maybe it was after the season had finished. Uh, so you could come in small groups to just sort of walk around and take photos and all that sort of stuff. So we did do that. Um, and obviously I would have watched the, uh, what was it, Barnsley game that we lost our final game um, at Griffin Park, I believe. And that was just disastrous because we lost that. And that meant we missed out on automatic promotion. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, there were moments that we that it was marked and it was lovely to be able to go there and just sort of 
you know, see where you sit and all that sort of stuff and just say, oh, you know, cheerio, mm. cheerio, old girl. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it, like I say, it's a place that will always hold fond memories for Brentford fans, the ups and downs, everything else, mostly the friendships and, you know, the kind of family feel that it, it had for so yeah. many of us. Yeah. And and after that that um, Bristol Rovers game in October 87, how regularly then were you going? When when did you get your first season ticket, if you had one at all? Oh, gosh, my first season ticket. Um, well, that's a good question. I'm trying to think. I know that my brother and my dad went more than I did initially. Um, so I think I probably didn't really officially start going until hmm, a couple of seasons later I mean the um 91 92 season, again see here's my memory 91 92 season when Dean Holdsworth was playing I mean he was my favorite player so um that tells you I must have been there I must have watched him many mm. times and I remember in fact I do remember walking up the stairs at one point in Griffin Park. I don't know why he'd have been there. Maybe he wasn't playing or maybe it was at the end of the game or something. But I just, I was I was like a little child walking up the stairs, not really watching what I'm doing. And I bumped into somebody and I looked up and it was Dean Holzer. And I was just like, oh, Dean, Dean Holzer. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's, he's my hero. So um, yeah, he, it must've been 91, 92 when really things started to kick on for us as Brentford fans, certainly. Well, I was going to come on to that season, so let's do it now. So when, when you start supporting Brentford, as I mentioned, it was a, you're a third division side. That game against Bristol Rose was a third division uh, game. Uh, and you, you spent 14 seasons in the third division between 1978 and 1979 season to the 91-92 season. And that season you got promoted to the second tier uh, for the first time since 1953. It was immediately renamed the first division because the yeah. Premier League had come about. So you, yeah. went from the, you actually went from the third division to the first division. Oh, it sounded good, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. You sort of <laughs> two promotions in one. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, uh, so the team was managed by Phil Holder. He was the manager at the time. And the undoubted star of that team was Dean Holdsworth. So he mm-hmm. finished as a joint top scorer in the third division with 24 goals, mm-hmm. 38 overall. Um mm-hmm. He was probably best known for his time at Wimbledon. I mean, you sold him that summer after you got promoted in, uh, to Wimbledon for £720,000 uh, So in July 92. And then that, alongside various other factors, like your captain Terry Evans getting quite a bad knee injury, meant you immediately yeah. got relegated. But yeah, that 91-92 season, that must have been really special. And yeah, just, I mean, well, you said it there, he's your all-time hero. Just how good was Dean Holsworth? Oh, well, he was terrific. Um, he did everything that you needed a striker to do. He scored goals yeah. and actually had a formidable partnership with Gary... Um, yeah, Gary Blisser even, yeah. who had scored, I think, something like 17 mm. league goals that season. So they combined so well together to, to charge us to that to, to that third division title. Um, and I, I remember being bizarrely, and I don't know why we never went to the actual uh, parade, because um, there was a bus parade. And I remember being in the local supermarket with my mum. And suddenly hearing a roar and hearing some noise and and managing to persuade my mum for us to go outside. And there's this bus coming by and it's the Brentford players and and, and they drove up to Griffin Park and had sort of a celebration there. Um, I mean, obviously, I was probably still too young for my parents to think we should go, um, even though we obviously rejoiced in the fact that we'd been promoted. I remember my brother had this massive poster that had, you know, iconic moments from the celebrations and from the season. He had it on his back of his bedroom door i think going well brentford no doubt about that they they're going to be in the playoffs i would think dean holds was there 
heading one in and sealing Darlington's fate. Well, that's right, Darlington. They are relegated after now, this aren't they? Out, after yes. this result, and they were on their way here as um, as Holdsworth makes it 2-0 and that's his 36th goal of the season and that can't be bad Ian no that's, that's good goal scoring that Jim. Is good he, goal he really scoring. has done well in any division that's good goal scoring and going well still Gary Blissett knocking in the third so Brentford are looking good in good shape for certainly the playoff places they had a bit of a downer for a, a month they or so did they indeed, didn't, and then they've yeah, come back again they did indeed and uh, they, they've come right back into it Although the, there was a goal here by David Cook in the 79th minute, a bit uh, a bit elementary for Darlington, but uh, nevertheless, it's always nice to get on the sheet. And in actual fact, they got on the sheet <laughs> twice because Andy Toman with an OG in the 88th oh. minute. And when it's not going for you, it's, it's not, not going, going for you. But yeah, there was just something about Dean Holdsworth. I just adored him, and I remember watching um, a television interview with him once um when he was at Brentford and I think he was at Brentford and he just went all I want to do is score goals all I want to do is score goals and I was that was it I was just like this is he's brilliant all he wants to do is score goals and he does that and I just everything about him was brilliant and I think when you were young um goal scorers I think everybody just adored goal scorers I, yeah. I even I even had a soft spot for Ian Rush at Liverpool um with ups, I was actually quite upset when he when he left um so, yeah, I, I, there was just something about Dean Holdsworth. I just thought he was brilliant and was really gutted when he, he didn't stick around. Um, but obviously the club had financial reasons to sell him um, and he obviously went on to have a, a decent career. Yeah, absolutely. The thing I remember Dean Holdsworth for most is that he was a, he was a model for Next in the 90s. Do you remember this? I do, I do. Yeah. And I also remember a few other sort of dodgier stories about him, page three models and things like that. But, you know, we don't have to go into that. Yeah, well, he was a goal scorer. That, yeah, we let him off for anything because he was a goal scorer. I was and he was a goal scorer. <laughs> you know, he was playing in the Premier League. This is what happens, you know. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I remember that at that point, I was a bit like, oh, no, Dee, what are you doing? But, uh, no, I mean, he was fantastic. So I can't. And I've met him many times. And he's a lovely man. And actually met him not that long ago. I forget what game was because he came to the Brentford Community Stadium. It might have been the friendly against Valencia. Um, bumped into him and he's always so genuine. He's a really lo lovely guy. He knows I, I worship him. So it's a bit embarrassing. A bit cringy. Because <laughs> uh, every time, you know, when you just see him and you think, oh, you know that I talk about you a lot. And that's just embarrassing. <laughs> um, but like I say, he's, he's a nice, lovely guy. So he's always nice. It's always nice to catch up with him when I do see him. Yeah, no, he's very good for Wimbledon as well. Yeah, so as I said, he, he left that summer. So he got promoted from the third division to the second tier, which was then known as the first division, slightly confusingly, in the mm -hmm. um, at the end of 91-92 season, because, yeah, you were third division champions and then got immediately relegated back to the, well, get, get this right, the third tier, which is now known as the second division <laughs> at the end of the 92-93 yeah. season, yeah. Uh, before we leave talking about Griffin Park, I've got to ask you a question, um, which if I, I'll kick myself if I don't. Um, so obviously Griffin Park famously had a pub at uh, yeah. all four corners of the ground. Simple question, Natalie Sawyer, can you name the four pubs? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, the new inn. The Princess Royal, the Griffin. Now, the last one changes its has changed its name a few times. The Brook? Would it have been the Brook? Yes, that's what I've got here. So yeah. um, I've got those off really quickly. Brilliant. Well, well done. I mean, you know, I've, I would be lying if I said I hadn't 
sampled a drink in every single <laughs> pub. Um, so yes, I'm, I'm yeah. Uh, I mean, it's the sad thing about it is the Princess Royal is no longer. The others are still going. I'm not so sure about how often the Brook is open, but certainly the Griffin and, and the New Inn, uh, mm. they're still they've still got their regulars, which is great that they still attend and, and keep it going. Yeah, so as you say, the Griffin, which is located at the corner of Braemar Road? Braemar Road and Brook Road. The Princess Royal, which is located at the corner of Braemar Road and Ealing Road. The New Inn, located at the corner of New Road and Ealing Road. And the Brook, located at the corner of New Road and Brook Road. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, those four pubs, or three as it is now, I mean, the loss of trade for them after Griffin Park, after Brentford moved out of Griffin Park, it must must be devastating for them. And did did the pub that close, close because of the loss of trade, do you know? I mean, I can only assume, I don't know it yeah. fully, um, but that one that closed is actually the closest to, to the main stand. Um, so in some ways, it's that's surprising that that went as quick. Having said that, as I say, the new inn is, a, is an Irish pub. So, I, I, you know, it will have its regulars that will go and they do show a lot of like Gaelic football and, you know, Gaelic hurling, for example. So they're dealt, they'll have their regulars that go in for that. The Griffin likewise has, you know, their, their reg- I mean, I know lots of people that go to the Griffin supposed to do very good food i've never had food there but it's meant to have lovely food um and yeah but without a doubt that their trades all would have suffered but Mm -hmm. i know a lot of play uh, sorry a lot of fans still have it as part of their pre-match ritual because it's the two grounds the old and the new aren't that far apart really i mean looking at a 10 15 minute walk so people that live in brentford could still easily go to their local they went to and and just make the the walk to the new stadium so and, and also there are other pubs not that far away also from um griffin park that uh again were always thriving when brentford was were playing at home um but still i've been to them and they all seem to be doing pretty well it's just that one pub sadly that that hasn't survived yeah no i guess yeah if yeah geographically it's close to new ground then perhaps yeah they're still getting still getting to try that before so that's Mm. that's good to know um Yeah, back to on-pitch stuff then. So, yeah, relegated back to the third tier, now the second division, at the end of the 92-93 season. And then for many years after that, club, the club basically bobbed between the third yeah. and fourth tiers. Um, and as mentioned earlier, hit sort of financial trouble in the early to mid noughties. And in large part, that was down to the collapse of ITV Digital. Well, that was only one of the contributing factors. Hmm. Martin Allen was manager during this period. And he talked about being in charge of a two-bob team because it was largely made up of free transfers, youngsters and loanees. Um what are your memories of following the team during this period? And how, I mean, how bad did the financial situation get? Was the club severely in threat of going under? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, I'm sure ITV Digital and the crash of that did have a big effect, but um, we, all, we also had Ron Nodes in charge and we'd had some heydays with Ron Nodes. He actually took over and not only did he t- take over as the owner, he took over as the manager um, and mm. actually got us promoted as well. When we, I remember going to, Cambridge on the final day of the season and there was three teams that were vying for the for the title I think we pretty much all secured our promotion it was uh Brentford Cambridge and Cardiff and we won Lloyd Owusu scoring I'm there we, we have Cambridge United um family uh relatives so it was like a bit of bittersweet for them for, for us in this but in the sense of we rejoiced but also knew oh gosh sorry about that um but we all went up so it was all fine um under Martin Allen it yeah, it, it would have been difficult for him. He came in at a time where we were fighting relegation as well. He came midway through the season. Um, and it, it all came down to the final game as to whether or not we would stay up. And we he called it the great escape. And it certainly was because we beat Bournemouth. And I remember, again, talking about the Wendy House at Griffin Park. I was actually 
uh, in the standing section. And uh, it all went mad when Alex Rhodes scored the only goal of the game and it secured our survival in the league. So, um, yeah, it's um, eventful times, I have to say. And, and Martin Allen is, is a character, as I'm sure everybody knows, uh, did some strange things uh, at the time at Brentford, you know, swimming across a river to prove a point to the players and putting a bicycle up on the wall in the training ground as some sort of metaphoric thing that I don't think anybody ever got. Um so, but again, and I, I was very lucky. I, I've met him and, and and worked with him many times, Martin. And lovely guy, great character. Um, just a little bit off the wall at times. <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a uh, FA Cup third round victory over Sunderland during that period in January two thousand and six. Yeah. I mean, you were in League One; they were in the Premier League. And does, yeah, you're nodding there. It sounds like was that is that a real standout memory? Oh, God, Premier sorry. League team at home in the FA Cup must be. Massive. Yeah. yeah. Oh, do you know what you? You're absolutely right. It did stand out. And I'll tell you another reason as to why it stands out. Again, something that's fresh in my memory. I do remember I mean, DJ Campbell scored, scored both. Yeah, goals. both goals. The, the, uh, the winner was uh, the 89th minute winner. So right. The oh. day, which is always the best type of winners, isn't it? Right. It was know? it was absolutely brilliant. Um, and um, uh, I remember going home and that was at the time when you still had your CFAX and Teletext. And it was the headline bees sting black cats or it was black cats stung by the bees. Uh, one or the one or the other yeah. way around. I think I took a photo of it. So I'm sure somewhere there is record of this photograph, an actual photograph. My goodness, you know, <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore. Um, it was just, yeah, uh, for a club like Brentford to have beaten Sunderland, it was it was amazing. It, and I, yeah, I was buzzing after that. It felt incredible to have won that game. Now it's DJ Campbell. Oh, he's away from Gary Breen and past the goalkeeper. Oh, yes! DJ Campbell's love affair with the FA Cup continues and he raises the roof at Griffin Park now's the time for cool heads says the manager but this was terrific play Campbell's given Breen problems all afternoon finally he was away sold the goalkeeper a dummy and he wasn't going to miss from there DJ Campbell Two minutes to go, and it's DJ Campbell, and he's away from Collins, and he scored the goal that surely has put Brentford into the fifth round of the FA Cup. Brentford lead 2-1, and Sunderland have two minutes to do something about it. Unfortunately, we sold DJ Campbell not long after, <laughs> so um, on transfer deadline day of that of that January, I think, to Birmingham. So just keep selling your best strikers, don't you? Holdsworth, Campbell. No, it's a well. <laughs> gosh, fast forward to even more recent times. Yeah. It's just a theme for Brentford, unfortunately. Yeah. But equally, we always seem to find someone to replace them, so we we don't miss out too much, really. Yeah, I mean, just more broadly on that, I mean, the, the fact you sell players and uh, what we're talking about with Martin Allen and stuff as well. I mean, I think one thing people really have to sort of get their heads around almost thinking about Brentford being in the Premier League, what makes it especially remarkable is Brentford is a really small place. I mean, you're a team from West London. Brentford itself is a town in West London with a population of only about 30,000, I think. So mm. not enough to fill most Premier League grounds. I mean, what are the expectations of Brentford fans? Where do you, I mean, I said you spent sort of 14 seasons in the third division. Do you see yourself as a team that sort of hovers between the second and third tiers that occasionally drops into the fourth tier? Is this just a wild ride being the Premier League that you don't expect mm -hmm. to last? Or do you have the ambition to change? Though? I think you'll find we're very much a Premier League club. Because <laughs> I do. Um, and that is our ambition. <laughs> no, it's a funny one because, um, yeah, all of all we've ever known is Brentford being an EFL club, whether it's Championship, League One. You know, probably, if I was brutally honest, you'd probably say we were, we're a sort of, 
not maybe now with our new stadium, but if you go back to the Griffin Park days, maybe we were sort of a League One club, not in terms of the personnel on the pitch, just in terms of where we are, like you pointed out, in terms of where we are in London, our size, our, um, our ground at the time. Now there is a very much a different feel because you can't get two different stadiums than Griffin Park and the Brentford Community Stadium. One old, decrepit, falling apart, sadly no longer even up. <laughs> it's been bulldozed. Oh. And then this modern state-of-the-art stadium, which is so different, so far removed from Griffin Park, that, you know, you walk into that stadium and I wouldn't say it's a League One stadium. I wouldn't say it's necessarily... Ch- I would say it's Premier League ready. It's a Premier League standard stadium. Yes, it's not got a huge capacity but we were never going to go massive because that would just be silly um but I think in terms of that when you walk into that statement I think you feel like this is a Premier League club um so yeah it's a funny one historically I'd always think of us more of as a league one side but I, I now in this new stadium it's very different a very different feel very Premier okay. League feel Oh, that's interesting so the, the shift to the stadium is kind of as well as being promoted it feels like it's really raised expectations oh, amongst fans yeah, yeah. It, it, it sounds silly I mean it, it's, it's silly things like you know at Griffin Park and I, I know it's not based about hospitality but let's just say about hospitality at Griffin Park you had one room that served I don't know 50 50 odd people then you had one other tiny room that had I think season ticket holders about 20 that was it for Griffin Park you fast forward to the new stadium you've got over 2,000 different varieties of hospitality in that mm-hmm. in the stadium so that just goes to show the, the lift, the change that's happened in moving to that new stadium. And yeah, when you also know that it's state of the art in terms of it's got a studio built in, it's got a sensory room, for example, that was designed as part of the stadium. Um, it, it, it has lifts. My goodness, it has lifts. We're not used to these things. Um, so yeah, it just has such a different feel. And unless you've been to it, I don't think you realise how... How, for us anyway, how, how special it is. And I mm. I thought it would take time to get used to it, but I already feel like it's home for us. And that takes that's that says something and having been a Brentford fan at Griffin Park for so many years, but I already feel as though the new stadium is our home. Yeah. So in terms of your again, because we touched on this earlier in terms of the, the pubs being around Griffin Park, has your match day ritual essentially stayed the same in terms of travel and, and the, the routes? I don't know how you get there, if it's a train or a bus or... A bu- well, I'm I, hoping it's a bus in your case, because that would be, that'd be <laughs> very... Yeah. I've been put off by buses now. <laughs> um, no, I'm very lucky, because again, I actually live near a Griffin, where Griffin Park would okay. be than, than the new stadium, but it, you know, it's like a 10-minute walk if I, mm. if I go cut through the local little park and stuff. So uh, yeah, normally it's, walk through the park and meet my dad and my brother at, at the main entrance where we go in and, and uh, have our experience. So yeah, it uh, hasn't really changed that much for me, but it's all about my brother and my dad. Um, we're the three that always go together mm. and um, we, were, we were quite sort of forward thinking and we bought a spare ticket because we kind of knew that if we got into the Premier League, then the demand would be so high. So again, we're quite lucky that we can share that amongst family and friends and I've got a son, so he comes. My brother's got a son. He can come at times. So, um, yeah, it's still very much a family thing for us. Has the feel of the club stayed the same? You talked earlier about being a family, uh, a sense of that Griffin Park being a family club. Has that, has that carried over into the, new, into the new stadium? I mean, I think Centre so. Brentford, yeah, yeah I, I think so. I think the only, the only shame for me, and it's not a shame, it's not a slight on the club in any way, is that, the people that we were sat around at Griffin Park, we aren't sat around mm. this time. And that's, you know, that's not to say that they're all 
we're all best buds with those people because I suppose if we were, we'd still be in touch. But, you know, they're just those familiar faces. Yeah. See, you might not even know their name, but you've just been around them for so many years that you just celebrate with them when there are mm. moments to celebrate. So I suppose that's the only shame is that we've moved to a new stadium where we're, we're slightly in a different place to where some of our friends that we know of are. But that doesn't mean we don't see them because we do. We still see them and, and wave to them where they're sat in the lower lower um, edges of the, of, of the stadium and we're a bit higher up um, but um, no I, I think the feel is still very much for me it hasn't changed there might be others that would disagree but for me I'm still lucky that I see a lot of old faces that still make it feel like it's Brentford to me anyway. Yeah. We should say so Brentford promoted to the championship in 2014 and um, you essentially just got better and better didn't you during that mm. period I mean I think almost a very steady rise and then you mentioned it uh, you probably should have at least got into the playoffs in 2020 we had that loss to Barnsley at home and then you finally and then uh, I know you saw you did get so you missed an automatic promotion and then you yeah. lost to lost to Fulham in the player final that no fans are at I mean that must have been given Fulham a sort of local rivals as well and given the fact you weren't able to go to Wembley that playoff defeat especially must have must have stung a bit given as well that you should have made it automatically as well anyway well that's the thing because that that season um after the so we had a break obviously for Covid and then it mm. resumed and Brentford just were fantastic when, when we resumed. And it, it, it got to a point where you felt like it was Leeds and West Brom and you just felt as though we, we're going to claw one of those back. We are going to get automatic. Mm. And then there were a couple of games, um, I think it was against Stoke and then, as I say, against Barnsley on the last game of the season where results had just fallen that if we'd won one of those games, we would have finished in the automatic promotion places, mm. or, you know, or at least we would have moved into the automatic promotion places. And it was interesting because Thomas Frank, um, I think he learned from this as well. He was very vocal about saying, we're coming for you, we're coming for you and putting, trying to put the pressure on Leeds and West Brom. And obviously at the, at the end of the day, it backfired on us because we buckled when we really needed to win. Um, and yes, that, that playoff final against Fulham, um, it's one I don't really like to think about, if I'm brutally honest. Um, because yeah, losing to one of your rivals who... I think over the course of the season, Brentford did deserve to go up. We were brilliant. Yeah. And then to lose to a team that you just felt, yeah, on the day, don't get me wrong, on the day they were brilliant. Scott Parker got his tactics spot on, but you just felt like, oh, this is Brent. This is typical Brentford. There, are, there have been certain playoff finals that we have got to where we've been the third best team uh, in the league and then just not delivered when, mat- when it mattered. Um, so... But equally, I'm quite thankful that I wasn't there because I think I'd have been distraught, absolutely yeah. distraught. Um, and, and obviously, the season after that, with Fulham in the Premier League, fans weren't really yeah. allowed back. And I, I can't imagine if we had gone up and not then been able to be yeah. there for the Premier League matches. Um, so I'm kind of I'm much happier that we've done it this way. Yeah. No, I was literally about to say that. I think almost it was a blessing in disguise because you would have had your first ever season in the Premier League, that first top flight season in, what, 70-odd yeah. years. You wouldn't have been able to go there. The stadium would have been empty. This brand new stadium would have been empty. And, uh, yeah, and instead you wait a year and you're, you're literally the first game of the new Premier League season is a Brentford game. It's at home and you beat Arsenal. So I guess it, <laughs> it was almost fate as well. Yeah, oh, um, absolutely. Yeah, just on the rivalry thing, it's really interesting. We had um, a QPR fan, a good friend of mine, Ash Rose, who was on uh, who was on an earlier episode of this series, and I was asking about the whole West London rivalry thing because people who don't know, it's kind of four main clubs in West London, mm-hmm. which is Chelsea, Fulham, Brentford, and QPR. And I asked him, essentially, asked him who hates who, and he was kind of going <laughs> through it all. And uh, I'm going to let you reply to this. He described uh, Brentford as being QPR's annoying little cousin. Um, how, do you want to respond to that? And how do you assess the? Oh. 
Well, uh, it, I mean, it's interesting that he says that. I mean, we've become <laughs> we've become their feeder club, so I think uh, oh, you know, levels right, have nice. certainly changed. Yeah, he did admit he did admit there's been a power shift. In fairness, yeah. given you're in the Premier League and they're still in the Champions, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm I'm glad to hear he was so graceful about that. Um, but yeah, no, oh gosh, how would we describe it? Look, I, I totally understand why there would be QPR fans and even Fulham fans that would look upon Brentford as just an annoying neighbour and nothing more. <laughs> um, because for so long, we've just been a League Two or a League One club and, and not really competed against them. I mean, uh, you go back to the 60s and our history with QPR and our real, especially from a Brentford perspective, our, our I'm going to use a strong word here, hatred. <clears throat> I never oh, like to say hate, but, you know, are, are the reasons that so many Brentford fans have this hatred towards QPR is that there was going to, at one stage, the Brentford owner and, and was going to sell the club to the QPR owner, who was then going to move Q- QPR into Griffin Park and Brentford would have been no more. Oh, wow, I didn't um, know that. Yeah, this was in the 60s. And then obviously oh, yeah. the Brentford fans and the Brentford players got wind of this and put a stop to it. Now, mm. in, in terms of, not, I should really know my history, shouldn't I? I'm not quite sure how they did it, but apart from like doing a protest, I'm, there are iconic pictures in books that I have, you know, mm. Brentford, where you see a lot of the players and the fans sat in Griffin Park and you can see the, um, oh, I think it's the manager or even the captain. They're, you can see they've obviously been having some sort of a, a rally to rally everybody together that this wasn't going to happen. And obviously they thankfully staved that off and the rest is history. Brentford remained and Griffin, uh, Griffin Park was Brentford's and, and QPR stayed where they were. So that would be why a lot of Brentford fans have issues with QPR because we know that they would have basically killed us off. Mm. Over. Um, so there's that particular reason. And of course, then there's the footballing matters on the pitch. And for, I would say, the sort of maybe around the 90s, you're looking at maybe you played Fulham more than we would have played QPR, obviously, here in the Premier League. Uh, and then they kind of toed and froed. It became we played QPR a bit more than we played Fulham and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, they don't like us. We don't like them. And that's just how it should be, really. And Chelsea yeah. just the big, the big godfather who, you know, yeah. no one could compete with Chelsea. Um, but... Yeah, that's that's the thing that I always like to point out, that there are, as you say, four teams in West London alone. And that's just one part of London. Then yeah. you've got all the other teams in London and then you can just go out, I don't know, what is it, 30, 45 minutes. You know, you've got Reading down the road. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are lots of teams within a very small area that our little old Brentford have had to compete with for, very, for, very, for a very, very long time. And it's only at this moment in time that we can sort of walk around with a bit of a, you mm. know, swagger uh, yeah. to say, look at us. We've actually now usurped a few of these teams for the first time ever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as a Londoner myself, I, I do, I find, I think maybe because I've got a great sense of it as well, I do find the success of many London clubs if they hit the Premier League utterly remarkable because, as you say, London is such a fractured city in terms of from a football mm. point of view. There's so many clubs in this in this city. And so their so their uh, their catchment area is so small. So in terms of attracting yeah. fans, can be difficult. I mean, as I said, if you're a Brentford fan, you quite easily be a Chelsea fan, and then absolutely you get yeah. to Arsenal if you want to really easily as well, or Tottenham or whatever. So to have well, a support remember, base remember, is difficult. Is, no, no, absolutely. Not. And I remember growing up being a Brentford fan, obviously in the EFL, and often being asked, "But so who's your Premier League team?" And you'd be yeah. like, well, "I don't have one." And yeah. it's that assumption that if you follow an EFL club, especially one in the lower sort of uh, reaches of the of the of the EFL, that you m- must also have a Premier League club. You're bound to support Chelsea mm. you, or Arsenal. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, it, it's you're absolutely right. Attracting and, and sustaining a fan base has, has always been difficult. Hence why I was on the back of a bus. Yeah. <laughs> 
I don't really know if that really got an uptake of people. Um, but anyway, the, these are the things that every club had to do to try and attract more yeah. people. It's just what you have to do. Yeah. Just in a serious note, that must be really lovely for you as a lifelong fan of the club to to be able to play a role in in promoting the club and having that close, you know, doing the after after dinner um, or end of season award dinners and stuff. I mean, just thinking off my top of my head, that must be that must be great for you. Oh, it is. It's absolutely yeah. absolutely. Although the funny thing is, um, I mean, I've done a few after dinner things. Whether Brent, aside from Brentford, the, the Brentford one I'm the most nervous about because I'm mm. technically I'm speaking to my heroes, my my club manager, for example, with Thomas Frank right now. You know, these are people that I I, they, I get the jitters about mm. it just because it's my club and I I I want to sound as though I know what I'm doing, but I'm really nervous at the same time. And um, but I yeah, of course, I absolutely love it, and I'm very fortunate that I get asked to do stuff. Um, and I will always continue to do it because I want to help my club as much as I can. So talking about them as I do on the radio as much as I can. Don't get me wrong, a lot of listeners that will send in messages saying, oh, my goodness, she's going on about Brentford again. Um, but, I, you know, I can't help it because ultimately I'm proud. I'm really, really proud of what my club are doing and have achieved. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'll get on to a, f- a couple of things at the end of uh, this podcast shortly before we do just, yeah, sort of wrapping up the current season then. So I said 14th. Uh, coming back in off the international break shortly. What are the what are the expectations hopes for this season? Is it too patronising to say you'll take seventeenth and staying up, or do you want a bit more than that? I think, goodness me, anything more than that is a bonus. And mm. um, but of course, seventeenth is is the minimum that everybody yeah. wants. Um, and if we can achieve more than that, then that would be just quite unbelievable. Um, to, to, I mean, I still sometimes have to pinch myself and, and think, how, are we really in this league? Are we really competing with these teams? Um, you know, and yes, we've had a bit of a blip in terms of our run. I really hope that they can turn it around because, you know, there's been a couple of, we've had four defeats. We lost to Burnley, we lost to Norwich, the pretty poor performances, especially there were two halves in both of those games where we were really poor. So probably really... Norwich, we might have deserved a draw, but Burnley, probably we deserve to lose that one fair and square. But against Chelsea and against Leicester, oh, you know, when you just think, oh, we did yeah. deserve a bit more out of those games. That Chelsea game was mad, didn't it? Um, Mendy, Benjamin Mendy, their keeper, made about 702 amazing saves. It uh, absolutely. <laughs> it was one of those, you're up and down in your seat uh, the whole time. And yeah, um, it, I mean, how we didn't get anything out of that, yeah. I do not know. And, and when you've got someone like Ben Chilwell, who's just having the most amazing season, saying it was like hell out there then you know that Brentford yeah. have given them a good game. And, and again, that's, they're the European champions. Mm. This is not any old, this is, this, is a, this is a formidable Chelsea side that we gave them a game. So I'd like us to just get that sort of spirit back when we go into this next part of the season and just put up that fight and hopefully start putting away more of the chances that we create. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope you stay up. I just want as many London clubs stay up as possible so I can get to their grounds really easily. That's the main thing for me. It's just all about transport things. Um, Natalie, <laughs> you've been absolutely brilliant. Uh, before I let you go, I'm just going to do the usual last couple of things, uh, as I said, that uh, that we do on this podcast. So the first thing is your all-time Brentford 11. So for people who haven't listened to this podcast before, I asked my guests to pick an all-time 11 based on the best 11 players they've seen during their time supporting their club. And Natalie's picked, uh, has been kind enough to pick an all-time Brentford 11 based on her time supporting the club. So uh, I'll go through it now. It's in a 4-3-3 formation. So in goal is David Raya. 
The back four is Ethan Pinnock, Kevin O'Connor, Terry Evans and Rico Henry. Midfield is Jonathan Douglas, Paul Evans, Martin and Martin Granger, I should say. And the front three, of course, Dean Holsworth in there alongside uh, Ivan Tony and side Ben Rama. So a couple of observations from me. Uh, there's four members of the current squad mm. uh, in that team, plus Ben Rama, who's essentially part of the current squad because he left in, in October 2020. So that shows how good and sort of successful this uh, specific era has been in Brentford, how important it is to you. Yeah. The other one is uh, is Jonathan Douglas. Because um, <laughs> I'm worried about your living situation, Natalie. I uh, have to ask you, are you being made to do things at home against your will? If so, <laughs> say your safe word and I'll immediately call the police. I'll get you out of there, Natalie. <laughs> Um, uh, it does. I know it's it's oh, it's terrible, isn't it? I, I, Should we explain who Jonathan Douglas you, is to you? I know you might have to. You might have to. Well, he's your partner, isn't he? Yeah, um, <laughs> he is. No, do you know what though? Um, he was a player when he when he joined us um, in 2011. He came with a lot of experience, and uh, when he left in 2015, it was a bit unexpected in the terms of he'd signed a new contract. And then was told in the summer he wasn't needed, even though he'd only signed a contract a couple of months previously before that. So a bit of an unexpected move away. And I genuinely think, and I, I've spoken to a few other people in the hope that they're not being biased and, and <laughs> towards me, but they've all said, actually, when he left, there was a period where you just missed that sort of experience, that sort of leadership in the middle of the park. It was a box-to-box midfielder for us. Um, and, and even the the silly things like the gamesmanship and the in-game management. They're the sort of things that we missed because we ended up turning things around and, and, and having a young squad. We were trying to recycle it a little bit differently. And you, every now and then you just need an older head in a team. And we just lacked that. And it was funny because, I mean, I'm fast forwarding a little bit more, but um, Thomas Frank, when he took over, uh, there was that first season maybe, or I think it must have been his first season in charge. I, I bumped into him at the LMAs and we'd had a, we'd had a few to drink. So we were a bit open with our discussions. He asked me my opinion on Brentford and and I, I just said, you know, maybe game, one of our big issues is game management. And we we weren't very good at seeing out matches, which he completely agreed. And so that's the sort that's why we need to bring in some more experienced players. And actually one of the first players they then brought in was Pontus Janssen um, mm. from Leeds. So, I think you do always need someone who's a bit of a wily character and knows how to cause problems, shall we say, for oppositions with maybe some sort of naughty little fouls here and there. But you just need that sometimes in a team. Uh, That's how you're going to win a game. Um, So, yeah. And I always just used to think he was brilliant, actually. I just thought he was so good. He was such a leader on the pitch. Um, So, yeah, he, he is a given um, but my hand is tied behind my back. <laughs> is he sat there? You're sat on your sofa. I feel he's on the seat next to you. Like, oh, yeah. Just off camera yeah. with the guns here. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you feel that, don't you? Thanks <laughs> he's not around because his head wouldn't fit in the room if that was okay. <laughs> uh, so I should say, in fairness to Jonathan, yeah, he played for played for uh, Brentford between 2011 and 2015, 169 games, 17 goals, and he was capped eight times by the Republic of Ireland as well. So yes. clearly a very And good I should player. point out, there was a poll that Brentford did, and I'm, I'm going back a while, uh, where they asked for, it was like your, your midfielder of the decade, and, and he won that poll. Oh, wow. So I'm not the only one that thought he was all right. <laughs> 
So let's get right. You've been on. You've been on a bus, and you are now dating one of Brentford's all-time best uh, midfielders. I mean, I'm living the life. Sash, what I say? I'm living the life. Fantastic. Um, anyone else in that team you want to pick out special mention? Should we just go through it again? So David Ray in goal, uh, Ethan Pinnock, Kevin O'Connor, Terry Evans, and Rico Henry at the back. Jonathan Douglas, Paul Evans, Martin Granger midfield, Dean Holdsworth, Ivan Tony, and Said Ben Rama up front. Mm. Yeah. Anyone else you want to pick out a special mention? Well, do you know what it is? For me, it's a team that's sort of a mixture of. Obviously, the new, as we pointed out, with four current players in there. But it's got also got the flair and a bit of old school backbone, which I think a lot of teams need as well. Terry Evans, for example, was a former captain of ours. You pointed out that he got injured in the season that we'd gone up, having won yeah. that third division and gone into the first division. Um, <laughs> and he was just, he's just a cult hero. Um, you wouldn't want to mess with someone like Terry Evans. My goodness. Mm. I, again, I bumped into him. He came to a Brentford game and we all went to the pub afterwards. And then he's... Uh, comes across actually wouldn't chat to him he's a bit of a gentle giant but my i don't think it's, you wouldn't want to mess with him still yeah. he's huge he's got moved into rugby so he's just really <sighs> tough tackler hard man no nonsense that's why he'd have to be in my team the, you know there are some some people might be thinking how can you pick some of the current players but i just feel as though someone like david rare for example his distribution has been absolutely fantastic and unfortunately he's now injured and he's not going to be playing for a couple more months at least um but there's just something about david Ray. i'm so confident when he's in goal now he's a really uh, good keeper i think I yeah, he's, awesome. yeah and there were arsenal were rumored to, um, mm, they wanted uh, him yeah definitely. yeah, yeah. Of, i think it was last summer maybe yeah, um yeah. there's just something about him he, you know he's really good at playing out from the back as well i think he's a really vocal keeper i think he's got really good communication with our defenders so that's why i'd put him in put him in there ethan pinnock another one i wanted to mention because in 2017 he was playing non-league football and now he's a premier league defender mm. and i just think again he's another one that it's just calm, calm in possession, calm when it comes to making a block or intercepting, making a tackle, whatever it is. And I just think he's brilliant. And to have just moved up, as he has done so quickly from non-league to the Premier mm. League. Now, he's gone, obviously, via a few clubs on the way, but I I just think he's worthy of being in there. And I, and I he plays for Jamaica, but I've always sort of thought, oh, you know, the problem is, Gareth Southgate might not look at Brentford players but maybe he would have looked at him once and, and maybe maybe he's a bit old maybe in terms, he's 28 he's not that old but you know what I mean he's probably yeah. not going to be someone that Gareth Southgate would have picked but I don't know there's something about him I'm just very confident again when when he's on the ball um, so that's why I put him in there but yeah there's real mix and how can you not put Ivan Tony in there mm. uh, championship goal scoring record that he scored last season of those 31 goals uh, 33 overall when you when you factor in the playoffs as well so he had to go in there um, I mean, I love doing these all-time 11s, but they do change quite yeah. frequently when you have to add in new players and think about things differently. Um, so I find it really tough because I was sort of like, oh, do I put him in? Do I not? But yeah, I had to put Ivan Tony in and I loved side Ben Rama when he played for us because he had a real flair. He was a game changer. Could you know, If you needed someone to just do something a little bit special, he could do that. And uh, I think for a little time, we, we found it difficult especially I think more so with him than from Ollie Watkins. Don't get me wrong, Ollie Watkins scored loads of goals for us when he was with us. But, you know, when you just, that flair that players don't know how mm. to deal with, that was side Ben Rama. Um, and when that the famous BMW of the season that we lost that playoff final were broken apart, Mm. Um, I, I felt like Ben Rama was the bigger miss personally for me but I do love Ollie Watkins if you're listening mm. Ollie, I do love him. <laughs> um, so yeah it's a real mixture it's a real mixture my team yeah no, excellent I think Ben Rama's excellent play he's taken a little bit of time to settle West Ham yes. but now he's yeah, looks really good yeah uh, Natsi you've been brilliant I'm going to ask you the final question before I do I'm going to ask you another question uh, have I been speaking 
slowly <laughs> enough for you. Can I can I get rid of this scrap of piece of paper now? I don't think you need that paper. I think no. we chat. I'm not once did I have to go. Sorry, what? <laughs> uh, so no, I think you have learnt over time to speak slowly, and you've speak done it brilliantly. Slowly. Yeah, when I was giving my wedding speech, someone actually shouted, "Slow down!" While I was giving my wedding speech, yeah, but, that's... but that's different. That's nerve-wracking. <laughs> that was, I can, yeah. You just want to get it done. So I can see yeah. why you might have done that. This is different. You know, this it's is different. Easy. Yeah. No, I've I've enjoyed it. I felt very relaxed speaking to you. So it's got. I think it's gone very well. And before I let you go and get back to your life, I will ask you then the final question, and it is the usual final question I ask on this podcast. <laughs> um, if you go back in time and change one moment from your time supporting Brentford up to now, and it can be absolutely anything. It could be a goal, a match a transfer, a very personal experience, what would you choose? Oh, that is some question. It's a good one, isn't it? I get some really great answers to this question, so I do like asking oh, it. Actually. Do you know what the, the terrible thing is? The first thing that came into my head, and it's gonna, everyone's going to be like, oh, she's so soppy, but it is actually that Brentford hadn't said to Jonathan Douglas that he could <laughs> leave in 2015. Only because he sat there with a gun, isn't he? Come on, this is getting <laughs> I know, ridiculous. I know, Call I'm... the police. <laughs> I'll message you afterwards to help me. Um, no, no, in all fairness, I just feel as though he did actually have a bit more time at the club and could have done a job for us. And uh, he, there was a guy that came in as our manager, Marinus Dykhausen, who actually only lasted about, I don't know, eight games, something like that, when they suddenly realized we've made an error with this one. He's not going to be the man to lead us forward. Uh, I think it was, a, it was something like the October time that he lost his job. And that's when Dean Smith came in. And I've always said, I reckon if he had just stuck around, because obviously he was under contract, so he could have just stuck around. Mm. Um, Dean Smith would have integrated him back in. I just have a fear. I don't know why. I've never asked Dean. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. He would, maybe he was quite happy not to have him around. But I just sort of think maybe if he just stuck around a bit longer, and not just gone to the first club type of thing that came in for him, that just maybe, you know, he'd have been back at playing for, and, and you know, it wouldn't, he wouldn't, wasn't expecting to be playing every game like he had been doing. He realised there was a change going on at the club, but, you know, just have a bit more of a role uh, again at the club. I, I just would have liked that. So, and also mm-hmm. so that he would have got a better farewell than, than he got. Let's yeah. Well, you went to that's Ipswich, really soppy, isn't it? That's really soppy. That's a very sweet answer. You went to Ipswich, isn't that right? Uh, joined Ipswich in 2015, yes, two years there the as well. The less said about that, the better. Oh, really? I didn't okay. enjoy that at all. No. It wasn't the best experience, unfortunately. Fair enough. For everybody. <laughs> Not for <laughs> everyone all round. <laughs> no, that's a really sweet answer. It's a, lovely, it's a very sweet and lovely final answer for the final episode of this series. So I, I don't get a good it. Christmas present after that then I don't know what more I could have done. Absolutely. <laughs> Fully deserve it. Fully deserve it. Um, Natalie Sawyer, you've been absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Nice to always have a chat, you know, down memory lane. Indeed. Especially talking about the mighty Brentford, yeah, who are not QPR's annoying little cousin. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. No. Do you, you realise they're QPR? <laughs> so, What's you know, that? QPR. <laughs> oh, I see you down there. Very good. Very good. Yeah, that's what you, we do. You've literally had the last laugh. Thank you. Thanks a lot.